Hi, I'm Daniel Wordsworth. For more than 30 years, I've experienced war zones, natural disasters, refugee camps, and sprawling slums. Now I'm going to show you a better and more optimistic world. This podcast is Finding Good. Welcome back to Finding Good, the podcast with Daniel Wordsworth. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Fitz. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you for following or, or subscribing on Spotify and Apple. It's also really helpful uh, when you're listening to this, if you could just open the app and rate the show as well. That helps with discovery. It helps more people share in the optimism and enjoy the podcast. I wanted to ask you a question. When you and I, we talk a lot off the air. Yeah. And you seem to mention ghosts a lot to me. And I've, I've gone along with this, you know, you talk about your ghosts. Mm-hmm. I need to ask you what you mean by that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Are you seeing ghosts? Do we yeah, need to have I, a chat? I'm not, well, yeah. Well, I don't literally see ghosts. And I'm not really talking about what we think of as ghosts, right? Mm. The sheet, the white sheet, all that kind of stuff. But I have ghosts. But actually before I, um, I need to work my way into my ghosts for two reasons. You know, one, you may see later. I'm, I'm not the most emotional guy, but sometimes uh, the ghosts bring that out of me. And okay. uh, But the other reason is to, I need to give some sort of context for why they're important to me. And because when I talk about what they say, it's connected to some of the some of this other story. Okay. Mm. So tell me about that. Yeah, so um, I sometimes find myself in a situation where I'm trying to explain the work we do to like three different audiences, right? So sometimes you're, you're explaining to a person, say they're sitting here in Melbourne, and something is going on in Somalia or Congo or somewhere like that or on the Amazon and people want to know why they should care or why they should be connected to that. Hmm. I want to have a story to talk to them. Uh, sometimes you're actually sitting with a dad in a village in a rural community in Africa and uh, you're talking to him about why he should send his daughter to school. Other times I'm talking to staff and I'm trying to explain why um, how we do something as, is, is as important as what we do. Right, that you know, working with people with dignity, for example, knowing their name, these kinds of things, stuff yes. that we've talked about in these other podcasts, yeah, okay, right? Yeah. You know, the Maslow being wrong yeah. idea. Seeing them as people, not as things. Yeah, sort of meeting them as fully realized human beings and engaging with them that way, not as a sequence of needs. Yep. So you're trying to explain this, but then I, I was thinking, could I find one story that I could tell to answer these questions? Why should I send my daughter to school? Why should I care about Somalia? And why should I be worried so much about how I do something when I just need to get stuff done? I thought, can I get one story to do that? And I needed to have a story that worked men, women, old, young. I needed it to work in Uganda as well as Brazil, as well as the US. You needed a universal. I needed a universal story. Yeah irrespective of your faith, whatever it is, a universal story. And then I thought, how am I going to come up with a universal story that works for everybody? So I thought it's going to have to be like a deep part of humanity. And so then I thought, why don't I go out to um, traditional healers, traditional storytellers around the world, indigenous storytellers. Because I thought those people work in these sort of ancient storylines. And I thought they may have sort of this deeper knowledge about what it is to be human. And that was really my question. What does it mean to be a human being? Okay. How, how do you find them? You can't just Google Indigenous storytellers right. and there's, yeah, and so, there's directory. So, and actually, this is a little while ago, so it was like super hard to find them. So I had to just do detective work, right? So yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I was working in an organization that had offices all over these places. So I could also, I knew people and I was also traveling all over the world. And so I, I began sort of building this network of people and I could find them. And actually, I found a Indigenous storyteller from the Amazon. Mm-hmm. I found a person who was studying to be a Mayan uh, priestess in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. I found actually a person that works in Louisiana in the prison system in the U.S. I talked to an Ayurvedic healer from India 
and a traditional, like a shaman, if you like, from West Africa, Bakuna Faso. Okay. I wanted an answer to a very straightforward question. What does it mean to be a human being? And I was trying to get at an answer that would work for everybody. Right. Yeah. And that would resonate with everybody. I kind of, the way I pictured it is like, you know, you have a guitar and it has six strings. Yeah. You know, you can strum that guitar and it sounds a certain way. And then you do, you play chords. And mm -hmm. then I thought the culture and things was like chords. So you're, you're strumming the same strings, but because of your culture and your society, you're playing a different chord. So it sounds a little different. Right. But then I was asking, but are there actually these six strings underneath? Yep. What's the basis of all this stuff? Okay. So, I, I, so I would ring them up because at that time it, I would just call them. Yep. I just said to them, in your tradition, what does it mean to be a human being? And each one of them answered the same way, which is we don't really think about it like that, no. right? <laughs> and I said, well, there's something in the bottom of all your rituals, all of your storytelling, in all of your – there's something in the bottom of that, right? And they said, yes, but we don't pass it on like that, right? We don't – but – and I was a fairly stubborn guy, so I just said, well, I, can you do me a favor? And think about it. Think about it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah great. Hi, I'm Daniel. Pleased to meet you. What's it mean to be human? You haven't answered my question. I'll come back yeah. and you in can answer weeks. it later. Yeah. yeah, you've got two weeks to tell me what lies at the root of all a thousand years of traditional storytelling. Yeah. You know I'm, there's been volumes and volumes of scripture and books and novels <laughs> that like just with the whole goal of trying to explore what it is to be human, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> can you summarize it for me on a telephone call? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, our Sartre wanted this to be human, to be very different from someone else. <laughs> well, actually, I think it wouldn't be. And that's, that's the point of what I was trying to find. Right. Is and, there a commonality? Uh, is there a commonality? And then I thought I'm going to use that commonality and create a story. Now, what's ended up happening is I could never create a story from it, but I used the story of finding the story as the sort of story, which is where we're at now. Mm. So, I, first of all, I called the, the Amazonian person, the Brazilian, and that back in two weeks' time, and that person said, there are five things. And then, you know, he outlined these. And then I called a woman in, uh, in Guatemala. She said, they're crazy Brazilians. It's not those five things. It's actually one of those things is okay, but it's really these four things. And then it went like that with all of them. All yeah. of them would go, oh, this is not bad. And they were, and I oh, would, So you shared the other's points with each of them. Yeah, I would go to each one of them with the points that I got from the other ones that yep. came before it because right. I'm trying to see if we can get some sort of connection. And for a while, it was really not working. And I would keep going around this loop trying to narrow it down. And they never talked to each other. I was the only one calling each of them up. Yeah. Yeah. But finally one day, the guy from uh, Burkina Faso, he's a traditional storyteller, traditional healer, he says, okay, okay. There are two things at the bottom of everything. And there are two things to un you need to understand about being a human being. And I said, well, okay, two. What's the two things? And he told me, and for the first time mm -hmm. in all of his conversations, I was like, I felt my guitar strings go strum. Right. Yeah, I was like, that, you got me. Yes. So then I rang the Brazilian. The guy from Burkina Faso says it's these two things. And the Brazilian guy was like, yeah, you, that's the two things. Yep. So I went to all of them. And their answer was, yeah, you, those are the two things. Yeah. They didn't think to mention them earlier? <laughs> well, yeah, they just never thought about <laughs> right, okay. it, right? Uh, even the guy from Burkina Faso hadn't thought about it until we were going through this whole exercise. Yeah. And uh, he came up with the two things. So what are the two things? So what are the two things? Yeah. I think people listening to the podcast didn't realize they were going to come onto a session where we talk about the two things yeah. that make you a human being. Grab a bit of pen and a paper, they'll be in the <laughs> yeah, exam at the end. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm hoping this strums, but I'm not as good at, you know, telling it as some. But... The first thing is that to be a human being is to be wondrous. 
or another way to put it, that every person is an object of wonder. So how do you think about that? So some of us, when we think about that, think that we are sacred objects that Mm -hmm. are created in the image of God and have an eternal spirit or an eternal soul. Yeah. Others, sometimes you've heard the description that we each contain within us atoms and particles that have come from every sun that's yeah. ever exploded. We're stardust. So, and there's uh, Martin Rees, who's an astrologer in the UK from Cambridge University. He says that human beings represent the perfect point of balance in our solar system. There's the same number of human beings would fit in the sun as atoms would fit into a human being, and we represent this perfect point of balance. Mm-hmm. When I try to think about this, I, the way I felt it was to realize that when we look at something like the Grand Canyon or the pyramids or that actually a human being is more wondrous than that, yep, that we in, within each of us we contain such an enormous universe. Mm-hmm. So first point, that every human being is an object of true wonder. And then the second uh, point was that every human being comes into the world bearing a gift, and it's in sharing the gift that the person becomes a fully human being. What is the gift? Yeah, so that, that's the key <laughs> question. And so the, the idea of that is... This is the meaning to life, that to find out what our gift is? Yeah. It, it yeah. does, now that you've said that, it does kind of feel like that's a that's purpose, right? Yeah, so that's why I will say things like, we don't come here for happiness, we don't come here for success, we don't even come here for love. Mm. We come here to give. Yeah. There's a tribe in the Philippines that talks about becoming fully human. Yes. So this is the way I think about it. And it's that in a community, at any moment of time, there's a whole set of human beings that exist together. Mm-hmm. And the job of the community is to see each person see their gift and allow them to give it. And as each person in the community gives that gift, the whole community becomes whole. And that's sort of like the, that's the way that you enrich a community. But I think even more than that, if you deny the person the chance to give their gift, you're actually denying their chance to step into their own humanity and their own humanness. You know? yes. So the point is to give. Do you think the gift is unique? Or like there must be double-ups. I've thought about that a lot because at first I thought, does that mean it's my ability to play guitar, right? Yeah. Or is it my talent it with... Paul McCartney's ability to write a song write a or song. a melody. Yeah. So I've thought about this a lot and what I've realised is I'm the gift, you're the gift, that it's the fullness of all that is you is the gift, yep? that actually your perspective, your voice, your way of seeing the world, your way of showing up, that's the richness that makes for humanity and it's the richness that, you know, like when you think about language and imagination and thought, there's like 6,000 languages that were in existence. Yes. And this is like um, 6,000 Aesop fairy tales taught in, you know, every corner of the globe, talking and sharing about the human experience, right? So the way I see it now increasingly is I just look to myself and say, you're the gift. It's not things I do. Just on that, those stories that you talk about, you know, the 6,000 stories Mm. and 6,000 languages, in different cultures, the same stories repeat themselves Mm. without ever having been shared anywhere at any given point in time. There's this repetition everywhere and it's – I see that in those stories that are told and perhaps there's something 
in this idea of what it is to be human and what the gift is, there's repetition in that as well. It's the, the gift is not necessarily unique. It's repeated around the world in different ways. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I throw that up as a, as a hypothesis. Yeah, well, I haven't thought about it that way. I, I think it's a combination of both, meaning I think societies maybe need mixes of different things, so you see similar talents arising in different places. So I think maybe talents repeat themselves, mm-hmm. but there's only one you. There only ever will be one you. That's the, what's connected to the first piece, right? The, that's the wondrousness of us is that there is, there's simply no single human being that's ever repeated, yep? And so the way that every one of us sees the world is the first time the world has been seen that way. So some things, talent, skills, repeat, because societies need those things, but human beings don't repeat. So, you know, when I then weigh this up, I see both real tragedy in this and real opportunity. Because if you believe this, this, like it's the way I sort of think about it is that each of us have come on this enormous journey to be here and that we come bearing a gift and we want to give it because it's our purpose, but also it's in the giving that we become ourselves, yep, in the act of giving. And then I think about what happens in so many places that I'm working in. It's like, do you remember in Afghanistan when the Bamiyan, there's like there were statues that were created in, the, in sort of 2000, 3000, 2000 years ago and Taliban destroyed them. Mm-hmm. And when the fall of Baghdad happened, the museum in Baghdad was looted and all of those treasures were taken. And when you see something like that, you think, what dreadful sacrilege. And yet if you see this human being this way, I went into a a refugee camp once, and and these are two of my ghosts, so this is an example. It was right during really a tough time. It was the same time that I met those kids. Mm -hmm. So I went out into a communal refugee camp, and there were two mothers that were next to the clinic and they had two, they were holding two of their small children and they had starved and they were looking, you know, like, um, you know, like this was, you know, their time had come. Right. And so we went to this refugee camp and I saw this and we rushed back and then we came back the next day uh, with, you know, food and assistance and the two mums were by themselves that both overnight had lost their kids. Oh. Yep. And so you're like, it's just, one day, one day, because part of the tragedy of malnutrition is we could have taken those two little bubbas out of that state within two weeks. It's one of the most fixable things right. is really acute malnutrition. Just recently I was standing in Somalia and I was in one of those sort of nutrition centres and in one room you, you see one child like this, and then you see the spectrum over two weeks of them now bouncing and fully back. So you know this can be fixed, but you have that. So, uh, And I'll talk about why they're my ghosts, but, but those two women are, are ghosts for me. And I think about refugee camps. I think, imagine if you've come on this journey and you've got something amazing to give and you are this sacred God, you know, thing, object, and then somebody says, we don't want you. We're going to find some dusty piece of earth and we're going to just pile you all in there. We're going to put fences around you and we're going to cut you from the herd and we're just going to forget that you're even there. Yep. And then you realise what's lost. Yep. But there is also real opportunity. 
Because if we step into this notion of who we are and what we are, if we realize our worth and if we start giving and pouring out, then the community is blessed, right? We become yep. – it's actually what we're all meant to do. If, if giving is what we're meant to do mm. and give of ourselves and yep. that's, our, that's our reason for being, yep. why are so many people – and I think we touched on this in an earlier episode – why are so many people wary of those who want to give? Yeah. Or mistrusting of those who want to give? And I, don't, I still don't feel like I have an answer – We've spoken about it before and you talked about people being afraid to give linked to shame because yeah. of a, if, you know, I give to you and you don't do anything with the money and then people point at me and, oh, you're a fool, you donated money mm. or you gave your time and what happened to it? You know, mm. you, there's that shame in that. But why are – is this to this idea that I've heard – and I, did, I hadn't heard it until recently, this term white saviour complex. Yeah. And it seems to me that that is a term used toward people who give by people who are – perhaps threatened by what they're offering? <laughs> I mean, I don't understand it. Is that how, – how do you describe it? So I'll, I'll put forward the steel man around the white saviour idea or at least a version of that, okay. which is that over many years there's been this kind of story that's, uh, that people think has been told, which is particularly as it relates to Africa and people of colour, right? So if you show an image of a, you know, a village or a refugee settlement or mm. something like that, and you paint a picture of it, that it's really a place of hopelessness, that there's no assets in here, there's no strength or abilities in here, there's nothing, it's just a place of death, deficit and loss, and that these people can't get themselves out of this, they're just waiting to be saved. Mm -hmm. And then the imagery that we sometimes use is of a, you know, uh, a white aid worker or a white doctor or somebody like that swooping in and saving all of these lives. Yep. So that, that's the sort of picture. And sometimes you see it in Hollywood movies and these kinds of things. And in some ways, Tom Cruise is an example of what that looks like, right? He's saving yeah. all of us all the time. Yes. But it's that kind of idea, right? That story painted that way is absolutely like wrong. It is, and what we've been trying to get at in this um, podcast is there is no place you can find on earth that has nothing. There is no place you can find on earth that has no resources, abilities, imagination, ideas. There's no because there are humans in that place. Yes. And wherever there are humans, the potential for magic and miracle actually exists. But there are people in those places who need help. But I think that's what you lose in this, right? Which is there was still those two mums. Right? With the kids that were were yeah. and you want to shame me from trying? Those two mums don't shun you. They, they are just, why didn't you come earlier? Earlier, yeah. Where were you yesterday? Where were you? And if you believe that we all come bearing a gift, the sharing of that is not always an act of compassion. It's a sharing of yourself. I don't even view what I do as being compassionate. I see what I'm doing as joining in to an enormous battle of good and evil, right? Like this idea of doing yeah. good in the world, making it better. And, you know, in, in World Vision... We are met a hundred countries. Every race, every religion, every type of person, every gender, every, all of them mm. pitch in. Compassion is widely distributed. Yeah, widely distributed. It had nothing to do with your color or anything else. So the danger of all of this is that we begin being worried, right? That if I go and act or I do something good, that I'll be despised and shamed if I do it. Have you been called a white savior? Uh, no, no, no one specifically. <laughs> but I, I, I've got a feeling that uh, there will be people... Um, oh, you know, I had one Instagram post. Uh, I was zinged uh, for that because I sort of was sitting with the person and the person in a gentle way asked me what was that image showing, mm -hmm. yeah. To me it was me 
having a chat with that person, but I get it. It has that feeling. But World Vision is not that. And I don't know what to do about it because I do like doing this and I am who I am. Yeah. But we can't. And if, and if not, you who? Who will do it? And you can also join in. There's a saying Mother Teresa has, which is whenever, because she works with people who are dying, right? And uh, people always ask her, why don't you work with preventative healthcare? Rather than working with them as they die, being with them as they die, why don't you do preventative healthcare? And Mother Teresa has a great answer for it. She says, I think God is talking to you. Yeah. Now, I have used that all the time because in my work, I work all over the world. Yeah. And if in Australia, people will say, why don't you help people in Australia? Now, World Vision does actually. Yeah. But <laughs> my answer to them is, I think God is talking to you. You know, if you feel so strongly about poor people in Australia, yeah. Go and do something. Yeah, you got, yep. and your God is whatever you want it to be, but that's a heads up for you to go, yeah. here's an opportunity something for me. Something is, here's an opportunity and you're the one hearing it. Yeah. Because I got my message and I'm acting on it. Yep, I got my um, thing and uh, so maybe God is talking to you. You talk about the mother like she's still alive. She's not with us anymore, is she? No, she's not. No. no. You, you met her, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you knock on her door? Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I knocked on her door. <laughs> I think you may have that told that. That may be another uh, podcast, but yes, I knocked on I her door. I think you may have told that. If you haven't, we have to get to that story at some mm. stage about how you knocked on Mother Teresa's door. Yeah. I, I want to come back to this idea of ghosts. And I know it's going to be vulnerable for you because you've already mentioned that. And the two mothers being ghosts. I would have thought, because when you say ghosts, you know, it conjures up the idea of apparitions. Mm -hmm. I would have thought the two little children would be the ghosts, not the mothers. Can you explain what you mean by the ghosts? Yeah. It's a – and actually I think, I think we have made a truth here, figurative, meaning that the people have been trying to explain something they experience and then we – I think actually that what I experience is very common and people – we call it – I call it ghosts and then people think, do you mean an actual Ghost. spirit thing? Yeah. Yeah, which I don't. So there is one, I'll, I'll talk about what the, the two mums say and why it's not the kids. But um, the other one that I talk to you about quite often is a, a little girl. She's about eight years old in mm. Colombia. We were visiting a place called the Negros Valley and I was with a, a person who's in the public health called Lucy Line Fiesta. She's from Guatemala too. And... We were, you know, we were working in that environment, right? So we were, you know, doing water or we're doing healthcare, schooling and things like that. And so I was visiting to see how we were doing. Yeah. yeah. Is it working? Are we doing a good job? And then I sit and I talk with the community. Is this what you want? Is this so? I'm, I'm spending time in the community. Now, at that time, this was a wild time in Colombia. Yeah. And this is how I remember it. It sounds also, again, so dumb that my brain tries to tell me it's not real, but... We were in this community and we were told early on that the militia was approaching the edge of the community. It's a big community. And they said, we may have to leave anytime soon. And so we said, just follow us in the four-wheel drive. Whenever we stop, open the doors. And if they come our way, we'll dive in the car and we can roar off and get out. So just make sure there's always an exit and they don't surround us in this village. Mm -hmm. So they would talk to us about this through there. And so I would go from place to place and talk to these people and the whole time I'm there, there's a little girl next to me. Yeah, she just like attached to me as soon as I arrived. How old? I think she's like eight. I never talked to her. Yep. And she was just talking away to me in Spanish. But, and I don't speak a word of Spanish. 
And she would sometimes touch my leg, sometimes she'd pull on me, and I would look down at her and I would sort of just pat her head and I would smile and just say inanities to her. And then I would sit talking to the community and she would sit next to me and she would put her hand, both her hands just on my knee and as I'm talking to the community, she's just talking to me the whole time. And I'm like, okay, okay, now I'm trying to talk to the, I'm trying to work here. So as we're leaving, uh, Lucy, who does speak Spanish, says, did you know what the little girl was saying to you? And I said, no, no, I wasn't concentrating. I couldn't understand her. She was all speaking in Spanish. And then Lucy said, would you like to know what she said? Hmm. And I said, yeah, sure. Wasn't thinking. And then she said, she told you the story of what happened to her dad. And I said, okay, what happened to her dad? And she said, well, she was telling you that one day the militia came, they pulled them all out of the house, the, her mom, her, her sisters, and the dad, and in front of all of them, they shot her father. Yeah. Like right there, in front right. of the house. And so she was telling me this story all day long. My dad got shot, they dragged us out. Um, and then she was asking questions like, what will become of us? Like we have, like what will become she's of us? She's an eight-year-old girl. Yeah. Oh, she's asking that question. Yeah, like well, what's going to happen mm. now? Will they come and get me? Will they come and get my mother? Oh, God. But she's asking all these questions. And I'm patting her on the head. I'm ignoring her the whole time. Like maybe, maybe one hour. Yeah. Like that was a shock uh, to me. So she's a ghost for me. She's always here. Yeah. Now at first, and the two mums are, at first, I, and I think this sometimes happens with our ghosts, and they're, both probably, they're all probably still alive, so I'm not talking about a dead person. At first, I didn't really even listen to them. So what I heard in, for the two mums, because they are like around me all the time, and at, for a long time, I heard the two mums accusing me. So I wouldn't ever sort of, I couldn't ever look at them because what I, if I looked at them, what I saw was you were too late. Right. It's your fault. They didn't say that to you though. Did they, they didn't say that to me. No. 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 But they have, they said that to me for maybe 10 years. Yep. And so you came too late. And what I've heard from that little girl was you just ignored me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I needed, I was asking you, like, you say you care about children, you were working, you know, you say you do all that. And here I am, and you didn't even look at me. Yeah. What would you do differently? Yeah. I did begin acting differently with all of them. And now I listen to them and I realize that none of them are accusing me. Yeah. They're more like reminding me of things. So what she reminds me of is, it's a bit like the story of Muhammad that I tell. I'm a human. I thought I was doing the work, right? Yeah. But she was the work. Like she's a sacred, holy being who was suffering actually. And I needed to be present in that. And, and I think I think we've talked about this on another podcast. Sometimes you get taught in my kind of work. People say, be objective, uh, be cold, which is what I was being. Yes. And never again will I be that. Yep. So I'm always present. You weren't listening to your own heart. Well, you, they, people tell you just you've got to shut that right off, yeah. otherwise you won't last. Yep. But it's the opposite. Well, they say the same thing to doctors and they say the same thing to lawyers. And 
Well, yeah, so it's the opposite of that. So what she says to me is remember, remember, be gentle with people. Now, I need that a lot, which is why that ghost stays with me. Yes, I have a bad temper. I'm very action-oriented. I'm yeah. very impatient, very driven, and I'm a CEO now, so I act like that sometimes. And she will just speak to me and say, be gentle. And sometimes it's at the end of the day when I've gone and done my thing and I've been that way. And you look back and go, and I look, God, And I go, and then I just hear that Ababa say, you just, it's okay, be gentle. She also says that about me. Because when I started listening, actually, and I know this sounds a certain way, but this is real in my experience. She also says that I should be gentle with myself. Yeah. Yeah. But you're also just that person. The two mums, they just say, be quick. They do just say, it's okay. We're not blaming you for anything, but a day matters, right? So you you made this point earlier. If it's not you, who? Like, so I don't care what anyone calls me. I don't care what anyone says. Couldn't care less. I'm just driven to go to those two mothers. And that's how they talk to me. So there's no accusation in that. So that's what I mean by my ghosts. Makes sense. Incredible stories. Thank you for sharing that. We might leave it there though. Okay. (laughs) This is Finding Good with Daniel Wordsworth. You can follow along on the socials. DanielWordsworth.com is the website address where you can also shoot us an email or DM Daniel on his Insta. Please ask questions if you'd like. We do Q&A episodes and thank you for listening. Share the podcast, share the optimism, share the stories. Daniel, thank you. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, Fitz. 